0: Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the Word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace.
1: The scripture reading today is from the book of Colossians.
0: Chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. This is the
1: word of the Lord. All thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Madel. Morning, Church. Morning. It is good to see you all today. Let me uh, start with a question for you: How many of you would say you have a complicated relationship with Christian music? Christian radio, singing in church, any of that stuff, quite a few of us, I would say, for one reason or another, would say it's a complicated relationship. If you, if you don't, that's great. Um, if Kay loves your jam or whatever, no judgment at all. I'm stoked for you. But for many of us, uh, we may be Christians and we may love music, but we don't necessarily love Christian music. Um, And we may even have like certain songs or memories that uh, we really struggle with. So some of you have heard this story before, but back when I was in my 20s, I was a youth pastor in the small town that I grew up in. And uh, one night, probably a Wednesday night, I walked into a Taco Bell to grab something to eat. And um, when I walked in, there was another youth pastor from another church in town with like 30 high schoolers in the youth group. And they were having their youth group meeting inside Taco Bell. And um, what he was trying to do, I came to find out later, was to teach them that they don't have to be ashamed of their faith. That they can practice their Christianity in public. And so rather than meeting at their church building, they were meeting at Taco Bell. And he was doing a Bible study and trying to lead them in worship and prayer uh, in public. So I didn't know any of this. Um, I was just going to get something to eat, but as soon as I walked through the door, the other youth pastor stops and he goes, everybody, this is Pete Kelly. Pete Kelly is a man who's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In fact, I bet that Pete loves Jesus so much he would be willing to bust out in a worship song right here in the middle of Taco Bell. And I'm just totally confused and trying to figure out where I am and what's going on. In fact, he goes, I bet Pete would do it, wouldn't you, Pete? Why don't you show us what it looks like to love Jesus in public? Why don't you sing something? How about shout to the Lord? (laughs) And I'm standing here (laughs) trying to figure out what's going on. All these kids are looking and seeing what I'm going to do, so... I don't want to make this guy look bad. I don't want to undermine what he's trying to do. So I just quietly start singing. My Jesus, my Savior. And I like kind of, you know, laugh and wave and start to move on. He's like, no, 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 don't stop. Keep going. Show us how this looks. And I'm like looking around. The Taco Bell workers are just staring at me. There's a group of guys I went to high school with that are in the booth, just like, oh man, Pete's not doing so well, um, and I got these 30 high schoolers just embarrassed for me, but they're waiting to see what I'm gonna do. He's like, keep, keep going. So, Lord, there is none like you. I sang the entire song a cappella by myself in Taco Bell, and I'm still a Christian. The point of the story is that if you have a complicated relationship with Christian music or with singing in church, I feel you. I know what it's like. Um, We're going to talk about singing in church this morning. And um, first, let me remind you where we are in this series. Last Sunday, we started a new series for the fall called The Work of the People. The work of the people. And the primary question that we're asking has to do with the formation of our character. Um, All of us, no matter how old or young we are, we are still works in progress. And so a question that we would be wise to ask on a regular basis is what kind of person am I becoming? I will be a different kind of person in five or 10 years from now, so what kind of person am I becoming? And as Christians, of course, the way we hope to answer that is that we're becoming people who increasingly look like Christ. And so we wanna be, in the words of Dallas Willard, people who are increasingly possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus. We want Christ formed in us. So if that's what we want, if that's the kind of people we want to be, then how does that happen? Well, last week we talked about um, the idea that being formed into Christ isn't something that we can do to ourselves or for ourselves. It's something that's done for us by the Spirit of God. So um, God is the one who forms Jesus in us, And so we receive our formation by grace through faith as a gift of God. So firstly, formation is something that God does for us. But secondly, just because formation is a gift of grace, it doesn't mean we don't have a part to play in the process. A teacher's job, to teach, job is to teach, a student's job is to learn. And so this is where the church comes in. We can think of the church, not just Sundays, but the community and the life of the church as a classroom in which the Spirit of God is teaching us how to let Jesus live his life in us. And so in our series this fall, we're looking at the job God has given us as the church to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the formation of women and men who are increasingly becoming like Jesus. And we said last week that it won't work if we're just passive spectators, that we're called to be active participants in our own formation. We're called to take responsibility for the development of our own faith. And so this is why we're saying every week when you show up for worship, you're showing up for work. You're showing up with a job to do. You're reporting for duty and stepping into this role of an active participant in the formation of your soul. So what we're doing this fall is each week we're looking at one element of what we do here on Sunday mornings as a church. Or in other words, our liturgy. Liturgy is a word that literally means the work of the people, and um, it's essentially the components that make up a worship service. When Christians gather together, what is it that we do? That's our liturgy. And so all churches have a liturgy. Um, It may be formal or it may be informal. It may be well articulated or it may just be assumed, but the question isn't whether or not we have a liturgy. The question is how is our liturgy forming us? Or in other words, what kind of people are we becoming by participating in this work week after week, month after month, year after year? Because liturgy isn't just something we do, liturgy does something to us. And so, um, if I, I, I want you to know why we do what we do here on Sundays. Antioch's a unique church in a lot of ways, and some of it may be new or unfamiliar to you. And the reason I want you to know is so that you can take seriously the role that the Spirit of God is inviting you to play as a member of Christ's church. And so this week, we're going to talk about music. We're going to talk about singing, which is something that you'll find pretty much in every single Christian worship service anywhere in the world at any point in history, Christians sing together. They always have, and they always will. And so maybe you've wondered, why do Christians sing so much, and more importantly, what role does singing play in the formation of our souls into the image of Christ. And so in our passage today, in Colossians chapter 3, um, the Apostle Paul has written a letter to one of the very first Christian churches. Uh, church in the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And the purpose of Paul's letter to the Colossians is to encourage them to see Jesus as the center of reality and to encourage them not to give in to the pressures that they would face from other religions or other worldviews that were prominent in their culture. And then in the second half of the letter, what Paul does is give some practical teaching on how they ought to live as followers of Jesus in a world that would gladly disciple or form them in ways other than the way of Christ. So our formation is constantly being fought over. That the culture and all the other stories that are told in the world are just as happy to disciple us as this gospel is. And so specifically, Paul is encouraging the Colossians to let Christ accomplish two specific works in their life. So in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So first thing, according to Paul, the church ought to be a community of people whose lives are marked By the pursuit of peace. And when he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, the word rule is the same word that we would use for like an umpire or a referee at a sporting event. The one who runs the game, the one who calls the shots, the one who decides what's fair or what's foul or whatever else. And so Paul is saying that everybody has someone or something that umpires or refs or rules in your heart. You have something that uh, is driving you and calling the shots in how you order your life. And that could be anything. It could be your need for success. It could be your fear of rejection. It could be your personal comfort or whatever. All of our hearts are ruled by something. And Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we ought to be a community whose hearts are ruled by the peace of Christ. Now, when he says peace, he's not primarily talking about feelings of inner peace or tranquility. What he's talking about is peace between individuals. The peace of Christ has to do with the reconciled relationships that Jesus leads us into, a reconciled relationship between us and God, and a reconciled relationship between us and one another. He's saying that is what we are to be about. The peace of Christ, the restoration of broken relationships, ought to be central, ought to be authoritative, even, in our lives. And so... I would argue that as we seek to be transformed to the image of Christ, part of what it looks like is to become people whose lives are increasingly marked by peacemaking. We're called to be peacemakers. Not just peacekeepers. Peacekeepers avoid conflict and messiness. Peacemakers engage it, trusting, that Christ is in the business of redemption and restoration. And Paul says, as members of Christ's body, we are called to be peacemakers. And when Christ is formed in his people, that pursuit of peace between us and God, between us and each other, between others in the world will mark our lives. So that's the first thing Paul says to the Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The second in verse 16, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So first, let Christ's peace rule in your hearts. Secondly, let the message or the word of Christ dwell among you now when he talks about the message of Christ we know from other places he uses this same word in the book of Colossians he's talking about what we call the gospel the message the good news about who God is and what he's done in Christ to reconcile us to himself and to one another and Paul says that this story this gospel story ought to dwell richly amongst the people of God So again, everybody's got a story that they believe about life and about the world and about who they are and why we're here. Everybody has a story. And Paul says that for followers of Jesus, this gospel is our grounding story. It's how we understand reality and how we understand the world, the message of Christ. And so what happens when that gospel story gets rooted in the life of the church he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So, when a community of people is rooted in the story of the gospel, he says, what happens is that they can now work together and become co laborers in one another's formation into Christ. The Christianity is a team sport. It's something that's meant to be done in the context of community. He says, when we are rooted in the gospel of Jesus, we'll be able to teach each other, encourage each other, help each other along the way. And he says, we'll even be able to correct one another with wisdom. So it's one thing to have peace in a kind of community where everybody is polite and polished. It's another thing to pursue the kind of peace Members of a community whose members are, co- are able to call each other out, to confront one another, and to correct each other on those places in our lives that are yet to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That can get messy, and that can be painful. So he says it's absolutely central that we are rooted in the story of the gospel. So, these are the two works that Paul says Christ wants to accomplish in his people. When we think about our formation, first, he wants his peace to rule in our hearts, and secondly, he wants his message to dwell richly among us. Now, notice in both of these verses, what is the command that Christians are given? It's to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It's to let the message of Christ dwell among us interesting. Because remember, spiritual formation is not something we do. It's something God does in us. So our job is to let the Spirit of God do his job. This is what God actively is wanting and working to do. God is an active father in our lives, parenting us towards formation in Christ. And Paul's saying God's at work in you by his spirit forming Jesus in you. So make sure you let him do what he's wanting to do. Don't get in the way. Don't mess it up. Don't ignore it. Don't reject it. But let God do what God's wanting to do. So what does that look like? What is the role that we're called to play in our formation? Practically speaking, what does it mean to let God do what he wants to do in us? Well, the answer in this text is actually pretty surprising. It's not the only way, but Paul says one of the ways that we let Christ shape our lives is by singing together. Not what I would have guessed he was going to say. Back to verse 16. Let the message of Christ Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How? Through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So somehow, when the people of God gather together to worship through singing and music... That lets Jesus do the work that he wants to do in us. So, this is our question then. How does that work? At a very practical level, like we said, Christians spend a lot of time singing together. We spend about a third of every service we have here singing together. So why do we do that? And there is so much that I could say and would like to say, but I want to just try to sum it up for us with four reasons that we sing together or four ways that singing lets Christ form our lives. So the first is this, that singing together imprints truth on our hearts. Paul says that singing together helps the message of Christ dwell in us richly. Now this is how the people of God have seen and used the book of Psalms for thousands of years now. In the center of our Bible, the largest book of the Bible is a book of songs that were meant to be sung by the people of God together. And so Psalm 119, for example, says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so what this song is teaching is that really the same thing we said last week, that as we pray, so we believe, so we live. If we want the life of Christ to be visible and evident in us, then it has to do with committing his word and his message to our hearts. So if you want to commit something to memory, putting it to music is a great way to do that, isn't it? In fact, how many of you know the lyrics to a song that you first heard like 20 or 30 years ago? My wife Jen is amazing at this. We can just pop on like any R&B song from the 90s and she knows every single (laughs) lyric. Um, it's impressive. But we all know that we, when we were kids or as we're raising our kids so often to put something to music, to memorize it as a song, imprints it on our heart or on our mind forever, whether we like it or not. And so um, most of the songs that we sing as the church, if you pay attention to the words, pay attention to the lyrics. Most of the songs that we sing together are songs declaring the truth about who God is and the truth about what God is like and the truth about what God has done in Christ to save us. We intentionally put these truths to music so that they can be imprinted on our hearts in a way that mere spoken words rarely are. And so, on occasion, we also have songs that express how we feel about God, but not primarily. Most of our songs are not about self-expression, but they're about spiritual formation. Declaring the truths about God in song imprints those truths on our hearts. St. Augustine said it like this, that we sing the truth into our hearts. And so as a church, we place a high value on the public reading of Scripture and on the teaching um, of the Word, and we always will. But the truth is, I've been a pastor for like 24 years, and I've never heard anybody walk out of church whistling the sermon. (laughs) Because we all know what it's like to get a song stuck in our heads. These songs that we sing are forming our faith and theology, even if we aren't paying attention. And so, when that comes to singing the truths about who God is, what God's like, and what God's done to save us, then that's a really good thing. And we want to lean into it and embrace it. So, that's the first reason. Singing together imprints truth on our hearts. Number two, singing cultivates our joy and gratitude. So, Um, Over 60 times in the book of Psalms, singing is mentioned in the same breath as happiness, joy, and gladness. For example, in Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. So here's the twist with this one, and I, I want you to to try to get this. I think that most of us, if we are to assume that there's a cause and effect relationship between singing and joy, it's that when we feel joyful, that causes us to sing. Because I feel something particularly positive or happy, then I express that in music or in singing. And sometimes that happens, but that's not actually the primary way the Bible talks about the relationship between joy and singing. And psychologists have found a similar thing. William James, who's kind of considered to be the founder of modern psychology, argues that a person must act the way they want to feel rather than act on what they feel if they want to pursue Happiness. So he has this theory of emotion where he emphasizes that emotions are caused by the interpretation of physiological reactions. And he sums it up really nicely in this little phrase, I don't sing because I'm happy. I'm happy because I sing. So lots of studies have shown that singing, especially singing together as part of a group, can do wonders when it comes to improving our mood, improving our outlook, decreasing our stress and our depression and our anxiety and our loneliness. So make sure that you get this. The reason we sing together isn't primarily to express our feelings to God, but rather it's to form the kind of faith that will trust God even when we don't feel a thing. Eugene Peterson says that worship is an act that develops feeling for God, not a feeling for God that's expressed in the act of worship. Now this is tricky, and at least when it comes to singing in the church, I'm willing to bet this is one of the places that makes our relationship with music a little bit complicated. Um, I've even heard pastors try to guilt their congregation into being a better, better worshipers by saying something like this, I see you guys at the football game, and I see you jumping up and down and cheering and celebrating when your team scores a touchdown, but then you show up on Sunday morning with your arms folded, bored out of your minds. He's going, how can you love football more than you love God? How can you be more excited when your team scores a touchdown than you are that the grave is empty? Now, I get what he's saying, But here's the thing, God is always faithful, God is always good, God is always kind, God is always loving, but the beavers hardly ever score a touchdown. (laughs) And that is a big deal, right? That is not something that happens every day. (laughs) I will never, we will never try to guilt you into singing but what we will do is encourage and invite you to sing regardless of how you're feeling regardless of what emotions or experiences or baggage or whatever you're bringing in with you today we don't sing because we're happy we're happy because we sing And so gratitude and thankfulness come up three times in our three verses in Colossians this morning. Joy and gratitude are marks of a mature faith. And singing together is one of the best ways we can cultivate cultivate those characteristics in our lives. That's number two. Number three, singing together unites us to one another. Colossians, it's interesting if you pay attention to the words, he says that we sing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I'm comfortable with the idea of singing to God together. Um, I'm less comfortable singing to you and having you sing to me, but it's interesting. He says kind of both things. We sing to, songs to God to one another. Psalm 133 is one place that speaks to this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together, dwell together, sing together in unity. And so we sing because music brings us together as the people of God. It brings together generations. It brings together people of different backgrounds, people of different socioeconomic status. It brings us together into one voice that we can become a visual and audible expression of Christ's body here on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Christians sing together, the blending of our voices bears witness to the fact that we have been made one in Christ. And even the variety of voices, high pitch or low pitch or on key or off key, some soaring to the rafters, some barely a whisper, all of this variety reminds us of the wonderful diversity that is Christ's church. And so the songs that we sing as a congregation teach us what it means to be the church. They connect us to one another in a way that spoken words can't do. And they remind us that we're not alone, that we're not by ourselves, that we're not the only ones, that we're not soloists, we're members of a choir, members of a congregation. Cuz there's times where I show up here on Sundays And my faith is weak. And I need you to sing. I need you to bring your faith, to bring your joy, to bring your hope that I can borrow from it. And I bet you've been there too. Now, it is work, right? Um, This is part of the work of the people. I don't usually feel like singing. And what makes it even more complicated is... um, For those of you that work or maybe are retired, how many of you would say you're good at your job? How many of you are good at your job? Like you're competent, have the skills to do what your job requires. Most of us would say we're good at our job. How many of you would say you're really good at singing? (laughs) Anybody? I know we've got a few good singers. Cal, all right. Kristen, I'm shy about it. There's more than that, but there's not that many of us. I'm not that good at singing. I made an album once, nobody bought it. Um, So it's hard enough to work at something you're good at, let alone something you're bad at. So uh, what's beautiful about the, the rugged community of the cross is that we're not called to sing beautifully, we're called to make joyful noise right? And we're called to bring our whole self, warts and all, so to speak. And if it's helpful, just remember Buddy the Elf singing is just like talking, except louder and longer. And um, some of you are really good at that. But um, here's, here's the point. This is work. We don't always feel like it. It's awkward. There's not many places in culture where we get together and sing in groups. And so it's sort of a strange thing, but we need each other and we're designed to do this together. That's third, and finally this, singing together is an expression of our love for God. Now, I said singing isn't primarily about self-expression. It's not primarily about describing or expressing our feelings, but there is something very central to this whole thing that we have to pay attention to, and what I have observed is that beyond prayer, after prayer, singing to God, is the second most commanded practice in the Bible. Hundreds and hundreds of times, God commands, instructs his people to sing. And for whatever reason, I would simply just pause and acknowledge that apparently God likes it when his children sing to him. When religious leaders were gathered around Jesus and testing him, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? According to you, Rabbi, what's the most important thing that a person can do? And Jesus replied in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. We know that Christ calls us to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to love the people of the world. That's the second commandment. The first is that we love God with everything we've got. And one of the ways we love God is by singing together who he is and how we exalt him and praise him and worship him and value him above all else. And we get ourselves into trouble if we want to skip the first commandment and just go out and live the second. You can't bypass the first commandment and faithfully live out the second because it's in practicing the first, in loving God, that our hearts are filled and formed to such an extent that we can actually love our neighbors as ourselves. And so when I used to be a worship leader as a young guy, sometimes somebody would come up to me afterwards with a list, and they're like, just want to let you know um, that song was too loud, and that song was in the wrong key, and I really didn't like that lyric, and I hope you can do it better next time. And I would say, I am so sorry that you didn't like it, but you do realize we weren't actually worshiping you. Right, (laughs) Christ was yet to be fully formed in me Um, we all have preferences or whatever Um, you're not actually the audience when the church gathers to worship this isn't for you this isn't about your preferences or your tastes this is for God We offer ourselves, our lives, our hearts to him in worship as an expression of love. So, um, here's the last thing I want to do. Before I close, I want to talk about some of the particulars of what this looks like here at Antioch. And to do that, I want to invite our very own worship director, Calvin DeVries, to come up here and, and join me for a moment. And so Calvin joined our team here in the summer of 2020, which was like a super normal chill time in the world, and I mean, we were outside, we were online, we were renovating this, and Cal joined our team initially in an interim role, and faith faithfully served through all that craziness, and now for the last couple years has been uh, shepherding our church in this area of musical worship. Now, you guys get to see him up here often, um, but you don't get to hear from him very much. And so I just want to ask Cal a few questions uh, about himself and then about the way that we think about music and singing uh, here at Antioch. So, Calvin? Yes. (laughs) You're Canadian. We love you anyways. Um, <laughs> your wife's Canadian. <laughs> That's, and I love her also. Um, uh, tell us a little bit uh, briefly about your own formation and the role specifically that music and worship has played in your faith.
1: Yeah, uh, music has always been a part of my story. Um, My mom loves to tell the story that I could hum Jesus Loves Me before I could talk or walk. Um, And so I grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian schools, youth group, Sunday school. um, And I went to a more uh, traditional church that sang hymns to an organ every Sunday for basically my entire life. Uh, when I was in high school, we switched to like a 50-50 worship team organ, but very traditional upbringing, uh, very liturgical. And by the time I was done high school, I was over the liturgical thing. Um, and so uh, I wanted to see what else was out there when it came to worship and church. And uh, when I was in college, I had the opportunity, opportunity to take a year off uh, and travel with a music ministry that was based in Minnesota and we traveled all across the US and Canada and overseas. Uh, We played worship at schools, churches, prisons, homeless shelters, Uh, and in that we got to see worshiping communities from all walks of life come together uh, with one joint purpose of of worshiping Jesus. And that was pretty cool, uh, pretty formational, shaped me quite a bit. Um, And so when I was done with that year, I went back to school to become a worship pastor As part of that I need to do an internship so I came here to Antioch and uh, it was about seven years ago started dating my wife Kelly Uh, yeah she's the best Uh, and we had met during that music ministry so um, coming here for the summer was a great time for us to connect and uh, went back finished my degree got married moved here and here I am great awesome and I get to yeah worship and be with you guys every week it's amazing
0: so, um, in the wide world of church, there's lots of different styles, approaches, traditions, theologies, preferences when it comes to uh, what we do when we sing in worship and that sort of thing. So, uh, what, are, what are some of the foundational ideas for you and the way you approach planning and leading worship for our church?
1: Yeah. So, I hold a lot of things uh, in tension on, as I plan a Sunday morning. Um, I think... Pete said earlier, singing is one of the things we do most in church, and so um, the songs we sing can shape and form us in ways we might not even know. Uh, So one of the tensions I hold is, uh, we'll call it old versus new, or classic versus modern, Uh, and that's the balance between hymns and modern worship songs. Some people really love hymns, some people like modern worship songs, and um, it's my job to find the right balance of classic, and modern, while making sure the songs still have good theology, uh, are singable, and sound good. Um, another tension is uh, fast and s- faster, or slow, and loud versus quiet, which often go hand in hand. Fast songs, normally loud. Slow songs, <laughs> generally quiet. Um, but not always. But it's good to have a mix of tempos and dynamics, and um, that helps with the flow of the service uh, and keeps... Interesting, if you just had all really loud, fast songs, it would be boring. <laughs> um, another tension is uh, song subject, or the direction to which we sing. Um, so some songs are we songs that have more of a corporate nature. Some are me songs, more personally focused. Uh, some songs we sing to God. Some songs we sing to each other. Some songs we sing... Um, With each other more corporately again. Uh, And some songs are God, some songs we sing is God speaking to us. uh, And some songs we sing, like all creatures of our God and King, we are speaking to creation. Um, And so you want to have a good um, balance of me and we, or uh, God speaking to us, us speaking to God in those songs also. So we balance that. Um, and all of that kind of affects how we choose our songs and styles that we get to
0: worship to each week. There's a lot to it. Yeah. Um, in your card in front of you, there's a, a, a little service, order of service that kind of walks you through the the pieces that we use each week. But there's a few different kinds of songs that we use. So as we close, Cal, tell us just a little bit about um, those categories of songs and the role that they play in our in our worship
1: uh yeah so we have five categories that are on that sheet that maybe some of you are looking at um a gathering song an adoration song and a song of assurance a communion song and a sending song Um, and i'll kind of just break each one of those down a little bit the gathering song is the first song we sing uh it's a response to god's invitation to come to worship Uh, It's the first thing we do together, and it brings us together as a family. Uh, It gets us all on the same page as we enter worship, when we come from different walks of life, different journeys, different places in a week, um, and kind of sets the tone for the morning moving forward. Uh, Often these songs are praise-focused or celebratory or have like an invocational nature. um, And so that's kind of what our leaders are looking for as we pick those songs. The adoration song is pretty self-explanatory it's adoration focused uh, and gives adoration to God for who he is and what he's done our assurance song follows our time of uh, personal and corporate confession uh and this is a song that speaks to the assurance we have uh, that our sins are forgiven and that Christ is overcome and we are made new in Jesus uh the communion song is normally more reflective and focuses on our relationship with Jesus as we come to the table um, and generally focuses on him as our savior and redeemer. And finally, the sending song uh, is the song that sends us out into the into the kingdom, uniting us in our purpose of joining Christ in his work of the reconciliation of all things. Hmm. Um, and so when you... Take those five categories and then you add into maybe the theme of the morning, the scripture passage, are we in ordinary time, are we in Advent, Easter, Christmas. Those all make a difference in how we select those five categories. Obviously at Christmas we're going to sing more Christmas themed songs. Um, And in ordinary time like now we have a lot more freedom and flexibility. Um, So all these categories are important because they create a rhythm each morning. That becomes a conversation with God. So we sing as a response to his invitation to come to worship. Uh, We confess our sins and then are assured of our forgiveness. We come to the table, both physically and in song, um, after we hear from the word. And then we are sent out in a unified voice as we prepare to enter the world our Father so dearly loves Um, And so it's our hope that with all these different categories and intentionally choosing these songs, um, that we are being shaped and formed to have a shared language when we find ourselves maybe in a season of adoration or in times when we might need assurance
0: or whatever. Awesome. Let's thank Cal for... uh... And, and I want to thank his wife, Kelly, as well, and the rest of our uh, musicians and worship leaders. <clears throat> you know, most, most of the musicians that are up here each week are volunteers. And so while you're at home going for your second cup of coffee, they're here setting up and rehearsing, um, getting ready to lead us. And so really am grateful. And um, and Cal and the band, as you guys come and as Amy comes to lead us to the table, um, I just want to affirm for him, um, I've never once had to remind Cal that he's not a rock star. (laughs) Now he has an impressive mane of hair that uh, would work well, but there is no part of who he is or the way that he does his work as a worship leader that causes any confusion about who the object of our attention is. And I am so grateful for him and Kelly and the rest of our worship leaders and worship musicians that they um, aren't confused about this, that we are not a band here performing for a congregation, but we are simply the leaders of the congregation Who is the choir Performing together for God And so um, thanks again To, to Cal and, and Kelly and all of them He works hard We've probably violated some child labor laws With him so I <laughs> feel badly About that But uh, Amy's going to come Lead us to the table Let me pray as, uh, as we close Father we are grateful That you are always at your work By your spirit forming the image of your son in us And we want, resoundingly, the song of our hearts to be yes. That we would let you do what it is that you're wanting and willing to do in us. That we would let your peace rule in our hearts. That we would let your word dwell in us richly. For the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.